0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
1: Okay, you guys, here we go. This is the Kern River Fly Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Guy Jeans, podcasting directly from the Kern River Fly Shop in Kernville, California. On this podcast, we discuss everything outdoors. We talk about conservation, music, and life. This episode is brought to you by Sims Fishing Products, Fish It Well, Reddington Fly Rods, Find Your Water, Rio Lines, Leaders, and Tippets, Make the Connection, and Costa Sunglasses, whose frames are made from recycled nets to help protect our oceans. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do, Let's do this! Right on. I'm ready. Hey, this is Guy Jeans, and uh, welcome to the Kern River Fly Shop podcast. Want to thank everybody for the support for the first podcast that we did. We got an overwhelming positive response, and it was awesome with the Bueller brothers. Me interviewing the Bueller brothers, but uh, tonight the Bueller brothers are going to interview me. And uh, I'd like to welcome my uh, co-hosts, um, Rob and Ryan Bueller. What's up, boys?
2: Hey, everyone. How you doing? Hey, now. <laughs> Tonight, on this episode of the Kern River Fly Shop podcast, we're going to turn the tables so Rob and I can interview Guy Jeans. Guy is well-known throughout the fly fishing community. We had a lot of folks come into the fly shop, and they ask us if we are actually Guy Jeans. <laughs> In fact, the first time I met a guy,
3: I came up to the shop for a guide trip, and this was about 15 years ago or so, and most fly shop owners that I had met at that time were at least a generation older than me. Um, Most were two generations older, and I showed up at the shop, and this guy rolls up, and it's in December, and dude rolls up, and he's in shorts and Birkenstocks and some wool wool socks, And I looked at him, I'm like, ah, oh, this cat's got a cool gig opening up the shop for Guy. Little did I know that was Guy Jeans himself. So uh, today we're all going to get to know a little bit more about Guy. And, um, oh, here we go. And, 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 and learn a little bit more about what Guy's all about. So Guy is a fly fishing international certified uh, casting instructor. He's
2: also the owner and master guide of the Kern River Fly Shop for 20 years now.
3: The Kern River Fly Shop is a Fly Fishers International 2012 Lee Wolf Award winner which recognizes outstanding innovation in the fly fishing industry through
2: their products and stewardship. He's introduced thousands of students to fly fishing through the Guy Jean School of Fly Fishing.
3: He's got two incredible full length videos, one on the lower Kern, one on the upper Kern where Guy teaches you how he fishes these waters. He's got a successful ska band, the Stoneflies, that he <laughs> loves to play in. He's competed in the trials for Fly Fishing Team USA, the team that represents the U.S. and in international fly fishing competitions.
2: So now let's introduce the man himself, <laughs> Guy Jeans. How you oh doing, Guy? God, you guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was uh, pretty awesome. Thank you for that introduction
3: you're welcome. So yeah. that's a lot of accomplishments in 20 years, guys. Uh, yeah. did you envision all these things and set goals or did you just wing it and things kind of fell into place for you?
1: I totally winged it big time. Uh, I guess it was, uh, a calling you could say like, um, uh, when I was, when I was uh due, I had a window washing business before I had this business and, um, I was thinking to myself, after washing windows every day, you know what am I going to do with my life and i I was like, oh, I don't know if, if this is what I want to do as a as a window washer. I mean it was awesome had my uh, had my own business um, with uh, employees and we were doing a bunch of different things, but it was uh it was a dream, I guess, or a, a calling of mine to become a fly fishing guide, and uh, everybody and their mother. <laughs> told me uh, not to, to do it. And I was living in beautiful Ventura, California at the time. And uh, people were just like, yeah, man, you're going to lose your ass up there on the, on the Kern. And uh, I just didn't listen. and just went for it.
2: Awesome. Because yeah. uh, last episode, the first one of the podcast we did, you asked us about making that jump. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. And we were talking about earlier this morning how, you know, you came up here and you didn't know anybody. Yeah. Rob and I, we came up here, we knew people, one, we had you with a well-established business already employing us, but you came up, you made that jump without anyone up here to help, you knew nobody, and you took it on your own, you know, what was, how hard was that first step? Dude, it was a
1: trip, I mean, I I had, um, you know, business, when I when I first opened up the shop, well... when I was first guiding, I was just sleeping in the back of my truck Yeah, and uh, I would guide and then sleep in the back of my truck up in the uh, dispersed areas and which were free. But after I opened up the shop, I had um, business owners here in town um, that were, you know, not the most positive about uh, fly fishing. They're like, huh? Fly fishing, huh? And um, I don't think they knew what fly fishing was or is yeah. and uh and now they're like oh wow you know we're you we bring you bring some folks up here
2: yeah and 20 yeah. years of yeah a lot of time and, you know have a shop still lasting is amazing yeah but uh you know how fly fishing's changed in that 20 years and popularity and all that's amazing totally in the southland a lot of it's because of you and your school too that's really incredible
1: you know you guys talk about the jump and I, i've always been that way um a friend of mine <laughs> a friend of mine uh sent me a uh, a picture um, over Facebook. Um, his name's Josh Block, and he was one of my childhood friends. And there's a picture of me and him with a lemonade stand. And I've got my pencil, and I've got my paper, and I'm like, it looks like I'm doing the numbers. <laughs> you were. You know, I was like <laughs> six years old, and I'm like doing the numbers, man, against the f- the light pole. And, and he's working the thing, and it was a trip. And I mean, I was like, I, I don't know if I was just made to be in business or what it was, but I've always... Had a, a job where I, I was either the, uh, the boss or, or if it was a real free type of uh, atmosphere. You know? Natural entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. All absolutely right.
2: What's your uh, very first fishing experience you remember? Not necessarily fly fishing, but just fishing, the very first one you remember.
1: So I was on Lake Acetus with my dad, and he had rented a boat. And um, he had rented, a, or he rented the boat, but we had the motor. And so he would he would rent the boat and then put this motor that he had on the back of this boat. How one cool! Of, one yeah, of those rental boats. That's cool. And I can remember driving down from uh, down the street in Ventura, and all the streetlights were green, and it was like early in the morning. It was like four thirty-five in the morning, and usually you hit all the streetlights, but we we went all through all the streetlights all the way up to Ojai, and we got that boat, and we cruised out by the dam and um we were trolling and with spinners or and i remember he used Velveeta cheese and um so there was a big thing a big blob of Velveeta cheese in the boat as well but i remember um, we weren't catching anything and and uh it was i still do this today you have to believe that you're going to catch a fish man you have to believe and i just believed that i was going to catch a fish and i yeah. i remember i'm like oh dad and I was, i don't know how old I was. Must have been like seven, eight, or something. But I go, "Dad, I got, um, I got one on." He's like, "No, you don't." And uh, I'm like, yeah, "I, I do, do have one, man. <laughs> man and I have one." And I remember uh, I, I got it in, and he's like, "Oh, you do have one." And uh, we put that thing on a stringer, and I was so proud. We brought it home, and my mom was taking pictures of me, and um, it was pr-
2: pretty amazing. Epic. Yeah,
3: we, we call that PFA, positive fish attitude. Actually, Ronnie Kovac calls that PFA.
2: Yeah, we used Velveeta cheese too, but I never caught anything on Velveeta. Back I did, in the day.
3: dude. I went to uh, Mission <laughs> Viejo Lake with Dennis Urk when we were little kids <laughs> nice. and dropped the Velveeta in this. We weren't supposed to be fishing there, it was this little basket um, off one of the docks. Yeah. It was the biggest trout, just whacked it, and uh, but busted it off because I didn't know what I was doing. I tried to pull it in out of the basket. Big fish but, rob,
2: even back then.
1: You know the thing with my, you know, fishing with my dad. Um, he he was kind of responsible for me getting into fishing for sure. Oh. Um, you know, and he was a he was a salmon egg guy and cheese guy and worm guy. And then we um, we would go camping up at um, Lake Cachuma up uh, above Santa Barbara, and we'd go up there for the weekends. And then he would go fishing with his buddy on a bass boat, and then he would leave me on the bank by the campground and i would just be fishing there for hours and hours just and locked in just locked on that tip of that rod
3: with your pfa you remember nice. <laughs> you
1: just are looking at the tip of your rod right, to move and waiting for any kind of a twitch you know, and most of the time there was never a twitch that's but the but same
3: was, way we look at our bobbers today <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> but I, I, I mean, this, uh, the amount of time that I spent at, uh, Lake Kachuma for sure, um, was, I, and I caught a, I ended up catching a really big bass as a little kid there, um, at Lake Kachuma and that even, that stoked me even more. I catch, you know, stalker fish and stuff, but. That's
2: why you love bass so much.
1: I love bass. It goes way back. That's my favorite. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm.
3: All right. Many people are aware of your guiding and fly teaching history, um, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your fly fishing competition history and what made you want to compete. Okay. So in 2006,
1: I got an email from, I don't know who it was, but they were having the USA team trials on the Kings river in, um, out of Fresno. And so I signed up and so they had 40 competitors there and it was the upper kings above pine flat oh that place is beautiful it's beautiful it's, it's like it, the upper Kern. It, it totally and so i when i got there i was like oh my god this looks just like the Kern." <laughs> and kidding. i was like okay I, I and so they, they had a pre-fish day where you could pre pre-fish it but you can't in the competition you can't fish the actual waters that they have the competition in okay and uh, i'm gonna give a sh- shout out to freddie ramirez but that's where i met freddie ramirez and all of us were freaking out on Freddie's driving. So, Freddie knew how to drive that road, that dirt road that goes way back in there, because he had a, a whitewater company back in the day. And so he knew every turn and everything. But all of us competitors were like,
3: holy God. hanging oh on for my dear God, life. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. like <laughs> a drive. cliff on the other side, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, and, and back then, um, it was, uh, there was, there was guys like, uh, Lance Egan was competing back then. Um, uh, George, uh, Daniels, George Daniels was, I competed against him quite a bit. Um, and then all, the whole, basically the, all the guys that, that are on the U S team, you know, prior years and stuff, um, were there and, um, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience for me. One, I, I'm competitive anyways um with my other sports surfing and um, baseball and basketball and stuff that i did was a kid but um to have you know fly fishing competition you have to have all these different uh techniques under your belt and and be able to perform in um in three hours so you get you get three you get uh, uh three days of of fishing and the, in the morning, you get three hours to fish one beat, and it could be the luck of the draw. Um, right. You could get a beat that doesn't have that many fish or has a bunch of frog water, but you got to make do. Yeah. And in the afternoon, you do the same thing. And in those competitions, they have a still water aspect of it, too. So um, you fish in a boat um, with a guy rowing. And then oh, the I did two know that. Two competitors on, yeah. the, on the outside. And for the first uh, hour and a half, one of the competitors gets to say where they go. And then the other hour and a half, the other competitor gets to say, hey, you get to go. It's the lead. lead. Gets yeah. to go over wherever they want. Yeah. And uh, Freddie was my uh, boat captain one time. And, um, but anyways, so in 2006, um, in order to go to the uh, U.S. Nationals, you had to place uh, one through five.
2: And how'd you first, do? Uh,
1: then I got uh, third,
2: which Aww. was awesome first competition ever
1: yeah and uh so then the uh then you get to then you get to go to the u.s nationals and in uh the u.s nationals were in boulder colorado that year and so then i got to go fish uh the big thompson um the south Platte, deckers um and all these different um lakes as well which was really cool um the greenback cutthroat was uh, one of the lakes that we fished when I had never caught one of those. So, What, but they, those
2: what kind of techniques are you using out in the lakes? You know, what did everyone do competition style?
1: Yeah, most of the time. You're not in competition. You're not allowed to use split shot. Um, and you're not allowed to use bobbers or indicators. Yeah. Um, are sinking lines allowed? Sinking lines are allowed. Um, weighted
2: flies, you know?
1: Weighted flies, absolutely. Okay. Um, most of the time, everybody's just stripping. Um, stripping streamers Makes most sense. of the time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And so then I think it was the next year. Oh, so I should go back. So then if you place uh, one through 15, you make the U.S. team. And so I got 16th place. And I was like, oh. damn, I almost did it. <laughs> and um, so that was cool. Um, but I met a lot of um, people. Um, I learned a lot, uh, made some friends to this day. I still have friends from that 2006 competition. Um some of the competitors, some of the uh, people that were actually the controllers at the um at the event um were have become friends um as well. Um but uh I learned uh different techniques, um how to rig your how you rig your rod and um the European style of nymphine and all that was was back then.
3: Yeah. How, how much has that uh changed your teaching, guiding and current fishing? after that competition oh man it made um that competition
1: made me a better guide um it made me realize that there's more fish in the river than what you think there are um it, it made me look at the river differently um instead of walking right through the water when you get in the river you fish the bank first stuff like that cool uh, um all kinds of different techniques so like in in the competition, I would have three rods i'd i'd have uh you'd have usually about 100 yards of water and i'd have three different rods set up um one was a nymphing rod one was uh possibly a dry uh slash dropper kind of a rig and then i thought i turned that off and then um and then i would have a streamer rig and uh so then i would fish upstream with one and then I could turn around and fish downstream with uh, the
2: streamer. Yeah, that's what we do now. We're always carrying out there three rods, and everyone's looking at us all weird. Oh, really? But it's so easy and convenient to fish one to the other. It's a great way to do it. I just have everything rigged up like that. I always say dudes
3: with three rods
1: are cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the the competition was really cool because I got to uh, learn from uh, one of the best, and his name was Vladi. he was uh on the the Polish team and um I got to learn his techniques and how he w- he won the world championships and um I teach those uh same techniques today
2: yeah straight uh, from uh, the real source yeah. yeah
1: and a very humble guy um his awesome. his his fly patterns are amazing um he kind of got the whole uh US uh team you know dialed in basically yeah back in the day the u s team uh was really interesting so back in the day um the u s uh fly fishing team didn't do all that great, and so they started uh searching the country for the the best fly fishers and holding these competitions and stuff wow and uh and still to this day they're still doing it
2: yeah
1: and so they um they've come up with some great uh, fly fishers all over the country um in different states and whatnot um and then in the meantime uh at one point Vl- Vladi became the Polish world champion became the US team uh coach so that's how the US finally caught up totally yeah yeah i mean it was uh it was pretty interesting that uh you know the US team uh had this coach that was was so amazing you know and it kind of bumped him back up because you know, us Americans, we think we're like amazing. You know, <laughs> we sure yeah, do. we're you know, especially we're... in any
2: competition.
1: So here's here's kind of what happened. It was kind of interesting. Um, from what I hear, this is what I was told: is the U.S. team, you know, would fish and um, they would catch a couple fish in a in a hundred yard run, and then the Polish team or the Czech team would come through and catch twenty five, thirty fish. And oh, like, no way! That that that's hurts. not
2: possible. Yeah.
1: And uh, they started kind of like checking... spying on Checking on this body. You know, dude. What's, what's going what's, on what's, here? What the hell is this guy doing, <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, and so that's how this whole craze kind of started.
2: Yeah, it's taking okay. over now. Totally. That's for sure. Huge. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. of the things a lot of people don't know about Guy is a very accomplished fly tire. Um, he's also a signature tire for Solitude Fly Co. with a couple patterns there. His most famous is the Kerner Merger which has been one of the more successful newer patterns over the last 20 years throughout the Western United States. Um, why don't you tell us a little history about the Kerner merger and also about how you started tying and why you started tying. That's
1: very, very nice of you guys to say that I'm a good fly tire, but I'm really not. <laughs> 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 That's really nice from the, coming from the Bueller brothers who are amazing, but you know um, I tie, I'm a, I'm a guide, I guess, fly tire, you know, I don't, tie beautiful flies i tie flies that that work and uh um get the job done you could say yeah um so i i learned from a guy named bill
3: blackstone excellent He's and
2: amazing. buzz buzzek award winner yeah
3: one of the one of the top fly tires in the oh, country still one
2: of the one of the just coolest people we've ever met absolutely one of the greatest super tires super cool ever dude. And
3: watched his flies look like they crawl off the table uh-huh
1: <laughs> and they'll fly away too yeah for sure <laughs> But Bill was interesting in, um, you know, just teaching me the basics and whatnot, but he also um, used materials that uh, not everybody would use, you know, like trash bags, black trash bags for wing casings. Or,
2: First time know. Rob and I ever met him, yeah. he was tiny, he held up this peeps of uh, the yellow rope that's all knotted together. It uh-huh. was like multiple strands. He goes, I found this at the swap meet. Yeah, Look, I'm making legs out of it. Totally. And it was and just amazing. It,
3: and yeah. another thing he had was for wings on his stoneflies. He had a bacon wrapper. So it was the cellophane on the bacon wrapper. And he cut that out and yeah. s- scrim little um, yeah. veins into it. So yeah, it was that's Pretty him. cool. That's him. But so, yeah, he kind of got me uh, inspired. He actually helped me
1: with uh, a lot of the entomology as well. You know, I'd come up here and I'd be, what the hell is this? And I'd have bring it back in a vial and he'd write down the Latin name. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, for me i'm like, oh, okay cool <laughs> and i'd have to go figure out you know what what it was but um what a what a cool guy what a what a cool resource you know in ventura at the cespe yeah. fly fishers is where i i learned and another great guy uh ray johnson who taught me how to uh, fly cast and took me under his wing taught me how to build rods as well cool. um and he was from ojai but um these guys Bill Blackstone, Ray Johnson, these guys just dedicated their time to teaching youth um, how to fly fish. Awesome. And
2: had a big impact on you, huh?
1: Totally. And so, uh, Bill Blackstone, I was, well, I don't know where I was, I was at some show and he comes up to me and whispers in my ear and he's like, I'm so damn proud of you. And walks off, you know. Very cool. How cool is that? And down. then Ray Johnson was the same way. He was like, uh, he passed away now but um he would he would do the same thing he was just really really proud of me and the fly shop and cool really cool
2: yeah how'd you come up with the current merger um well basically
1: <laughs> basically it's a hair's ear pattern that's true and so i just i'm you know i'm a musician and creative and make up patterns and whatever so i started doing you know instead of um, uh, well, for the tail, I would just use moose or whatever. And then I would, I found out that the fish. Did you
3: do? Did you choose to do that? Or was that like something, uh, like all I got moose here. So I'm just going to throw in some moose. And then it probably, ended up working. Probably. Yeah. Probably what happened. Or I didn't have <laughs> what I
1: yeah, needed for a tail. i like, I'll just try this. Um, but uh, the thing about the Kern Emerger that when I was first starting here on the Kern was I noticed that the rainbows here. And the brown trout here love the colors, uh, pinks and reds and sh- yellow chartreuse colors. That's truth. Yeah, I still do. And uh, pink is a huge color here on the Kern, and so I started using the wing casings uh, of those colors and found out that um, you know they like those colors different times of the year, um, and uh, it was just a it was just a pattern that worked. In fact. I would get so panicked I'd run out of them after a guide trip and I'd be at home. It was horrible. I have to sit there, ah, tie my flies, you know, for the next day or whatever uh-huh. after guiding all day. Well, you guys know how it is. <laughs> and, um, you know, just trying to, and, and eventually it was kind of, um, you know, it wasn't making them all perfect. I was just tying fast. Yeah. Um, and then the current merger is kind of interesting. I, you know, a lot of people when they're fishing, you know, they do a dead drift and Underneath an indicator or without an indicator, and they let that thing drift. But at the on the current, especially after the fly uh, goes down and around down current, and the and your line pulls tight, the flies usually come up to the surface like they're emerging, and that's how I got the name the current merger for it. Because most of the strikes on the current emerger would be at the end of the drift when it was drifting up.
2: When well, some movement in it coming
1: up, yeah, out. and that attractor for whatever reason the um, the color or whatever it was um, got them to eat that on the on the swing. Oh. And it, you know, I was taught by uh, also you know uh, some other people that um, after your line pulls tight, you gotta you gotta recast. And here on the Kern, and oh. I found on other streams, leave that, r- oh, that thing no. hang, let that thing hang, let that thing hang, and then even strip it back, strip your your. Um, nymphs back and you pick up fish and um and i quickly learned that some of these old timers that um uh that i learned from and their old techniques um were old techniques yeah and uh i started saying to myself there are no rules there are no rules we've always said that as well Yeah. yeah if there are no rules of fly fishing there might be better ways to do things
3: but there's definitely no, no rules. If there was rules, there would be no new developments. Vlade yeah. wouldn't have slayed over everybody else. You wouldn't have learned from Vlade, on and on and on. Absolutely. There wouldn't be your own nymphing super popular today. So many other examples of and the, the and advancements.
1: The, and the same with you guys, man. You guys are always, like, making searching. up patterns and doing cold, cool cool stuff. And that's what's so fun about fly fishing for me and the fly tying aspect of it is And I love tying bass flies because they're so big and you can see them. Tying those little, tiny, little trout flies, those 26, I don't even like doing, I'll buy those. But, um, you know, bass flies are so fun to tie for me.
2: Yeah. You know, so. Cool. One of the things that's also so important in your life, probably as much as fishing have been a big part of your life's music. Absolutely. And uh, people come and hear your bands a lot and know you're a keyboard player your whole life. Um, Who's the one main influence on the keyboards you've had over the years? Just but one. You got to name just the one.
1: Oh, I'd have to say, um, and it's it's kind of ironic, but uh, Ray Manzarek from the Doors. Fabulous. Ray Manzarek. You know if you guys know this, but his parents owned Wolford Heights Market down down the street. You no. have mentioned that before. If you I did, did, I've I
2: forgotten did. it. So, I might. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember stuff, so, so I've forgotten it.
1: So Ray Manzarek's brother still lives here. And he plays at the Kernville Saloon every once in a while. He's a guitar player. Okay. So um, every once in a while, you'll hear that he's playing there, and I'll go to—I'll actually go down there and check him out. He plays a lot of blues and stuff.
2: Yeah. Do
1: so, you sit in? No, no. I just <laughs> uh, sit, sit in the wings and watch. But well, cool.
2: what drew you into Ray?
1: So the interesting thing about um, Ray Manzarek is the when I was younger, I used to play the bass with my left hand. Okay. Uh, on the on the keyboards. Yep. And so Ray Manzarek used to play this instrument that was all bass. So if you know the Doors.
2: Yeah, he was the bass player for the Doors also. He was the bass player
1: and the organ keyboard player. And so I just thought that was amazing. And so, you know, some of his left-hand coordination uh, mixed with his right-hand coordination is unbelievable. And a lot of people don't know that. You know, to be able to be able to first is to play the bass with your left hand and then carry on all those solos that the Doors are famous for. Yeah. Organ solos and stuff like that is to me is unbelievable. So he's always been, he's got like kind of a blues jazz kind of um, solo style. And that's, if you listen to my solos when I'm soloing, you'll hear a lot of uh, Ray Manzarek and uh, that as well. Awesome. Yeah,
3: uh, Not many prominent musicians play the kitar, or I believe it's called melodica as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can only think of Herbie Hancock and that dude from Devo. Uh, so what made, you, what made you pick up the keytar, and do you
1: have a keytar hero? You know, I don't. I don't have a kitar hero. Um, it was kind of a weird thing because um, I had a band uh, back in the day in the 90s called Lion Eyes. And we were a full ska band, um, three- to four-piece horn section. And we were always moving around the stage and whatnot. But I was that guy with, like, three keyboards, sometimes four keyboards, stuck behind this big rack of keyboards.
2: And you're just stuck back I'm there. I was like, oh, Dude, I want to get out there I'm with front the front ac- man. What is it, this? Yeah, yeah, I want to get <laughs> Anyone <laughs> knows God knows he likes to perform.
1: Totally. So, um I, somebody told me about a keytar. And so what was cool was the keytar actually controlled the whole rack of keyboards. So I could plug into this little module and I could play strings, I could play organ, I could play piano, I could play something else. Basically
3: a large synth or just a little synth and you could take it wherever you wanted on stage. And then I got really cool is where all
2: those keyboards came in a little box. And came right to you.
1: Yeah. And so I could have all four of those keyboards we're in a little box, and then I just plug my guitar, which is yep. a lot of people don't know what a guitar is a guitar is a basically a piano that you wear around your body like a guitar and um it makes it really fun because you can run around the stage for one, but also you can uh perform and sing. Uh, in front of people without having to be stacked behind a whole bunch
3: of are you going to be like Mick Jagger and running around when you're 80 running around on stage I with hope your guitar so. I hope so
1: you awesome. better
2: start stretching now <laughs>
3: right
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly so we were playing
1: this so I, I got to tell you guys this so we I hadn't I had put music on a hiatus for about 10 years and um and I hadn't played in 10 years and I was living up here and I was guiding everything and I was like ah <sighs> I kind of got jaded from the music industry, got, had a couple of record deals and um, kind of got into some bad um, business dealings yeah. in the music business, which happens, happens. So I got kind of jaded. So I took 10 years off.
0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure.
1: to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price, Priceline. dude, our what was crazy was our bass player, our original bass player for Lion Eyes' wife got stage 4 breast cancer and she calls me up and I'm in the shop actually in here where we're at and she says, guy, you know um, I have stage 4 breast cancer, I want to put a benefit together at the Ventura Theater. Um, are you, would you be interested in getting the Lion Eyes back together? And I'm like, absolutely. I was just stoked. To be, I was honored that yeah. she would. And so she got not only the uh, eight original guys, but all the rest of the guys that had come and gone through the band over wow. 15 years. Awesome! And so we were all together, hanging out. And um, that kind of got me inspired to, to play again. So we played the Ventura theater and we sold this, the, the theater out. And that holds about 1500 people. So we walk out on stage and it's just, ah, and it was just awesome. Chiaki was there. <laughs> Chiaki was in yes. the front row, yeah, man. He was. It was awesome. <laughs> Jockey had never seen me play. He had never been to a show and he was there for the first time oh, yeah. seeing us. And Chiaki he was like, loves what? Live music. what is this going on music. here? <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. And, um, and we played, and it was amazing, and uh, it just got got us fired up. We actually did another uh, album after that, and then um, it kind of got me to back together with uh, Robert, the original drummer, and TK, the the guitar player, and we we formed the Stoneflies. Cool. And uh, that the Lion Eyes kind of fell apart because everybody's older and
2: yeah, living it's in it's different hot.
1: towns or whatever it is. And uh, the Stoneflies was originally a three-piece band, and we just wanted to play little shows and get our music fix in, you know, here and there. So, yeah. and then of course Stoneflies blew up into uh, an eight-piece bandic too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what's the future for Stoneflies right now? Well,
1: you know what's cool is we are uh, still writing and recording music, and that's my favorite thing to do is write music whether it's good or whether it's bad um, and play it for people um, record it for folks. And if people are stoked, awesome. If not throw it out, throw that thing out the window. I don't care. It's just, it's part of um, who we are as and just um, having a good time playing music. And like I, I keep telling people when, when this COVID thing goes away, I'm throwing a rager. That's
2: what we keep hearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going
1: to throw a rager on the side of the building over here by the the hardware store. I'm gonna have a big stage built. I'm gonna fence it off. We're gonna have all kinds of fun right here. Oh, excellent. Different bands and whatnot.
2: Cool. All right. Now that you're getting older, um, been playing music, listening to music a long time. Who's like your favorite guy or band to listen to right now? Right now?
1: Oh man. So in the shop I've been putting on uh, a jazz piano player his name's Ahmad Jamal, and he's he's my favorite jazz piano players, so I've been listening to that. It's one of the greats of all time. Yeah. Did so, you ever seen him, Robbie? No. You guys haven't seen him? Mm-mm. Um, I've listened to that, and then, of course, I always love, love listening to some of the newer bands. Um, one is called Stick Figure, which I love. Um, and, I, and one of the things I love about uh, the band Stick Figure is that the guy plays all the instruments, instruments himself, and records that basically records all the albums, and when they tour, he gets his band together, and they go tour, and they play all the parts that he has written
3: in the studio, and it's pretty amazing, Stevie Wonder style.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. then um, and there, he was kind of a, a, a YouTube sensation. You know, he just started playing music, um, recording his music, and then putting it up on YouTube, and next thing you know, he's got a million million views and people are like Who's this band? And then they go play and they're playing in front of, you know, twenty five thousand people or whatever yeah. it is, you know, and it's it's a pretty cool success story. So I, I love I love that kind of stuff.
2: Okay. Sure. Well back in uh the last episode you were talking to us, asking us about our musical influence and we mm-hmm. brought up Ventura and Going to the Dead and you were there too at some of the shows out in the parking lot. Being a musician yourself, um going to the dead, having them there that much, why the hell didn't you go inside and see a show?
1: Oh, my God. So I was outside riding a unicycle, bro.
2: I know. What is <laughs> up with that? <laughs> I, so we always so thought. So many things wrong with that.
3: <laughs> we always thought that the, the kooks were the ones that didn't try to get into the show and stayed out in the drum yeah, circles yeah, outside. I, so I, so you know, were you, I, were you I, one of the kooks? I, yeah. I, I was. I, I, <laughs> obviously, I was one of the kooks,
1: but I was having such a good time. Out, out in there, out there, and oh, you know, yeah, pro- probably, at? probably, quite honestly, I probably couldn't afford to get into the show. Yeah, it wasn't
3: oh, much yeah. money. It wasn't. No.
1: Yeah, back then it was
2: great. I'm going to use that as an excuse. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, hey, you
3: were an entrepreneur. You had a lemonade stand at six. So
2: yeah. You got yeah. No I, I must have had money, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, you had a unicycle, man. Dude,
1: I, I don't know. Maybe I burn out by the time the dead went on, or <laughs> they were they did day shows. They were said. day shows. So maybe then, I though. was there
2: after. You were too early. They played too early for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they played, and then I was there afterwards. That's
1: probably what happened. Uh, too good. <laughs> oh my god that that place was that that whole dead scene at Ventura was
0: that it was, was a some, lot of fun. some of the
1: funnest times of my life. Definitely, definitely for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and in Ventura, Ventura had a problem with uh, with all the dead folks because Ooh. a lot of oh they would they linger. Would, yeah, they would linger. Yeah, and then, and then I don't know if that had a, a reason why.
2: They didn't play there anymore? Do you guys know? It was right then. Also, 87, Touch of Grey came out, and they blew up. So that went from where Rob and I could go to a show without a ticket. Oh, I need a ticket. I need a ticket. Someone to come. You could get it real easy uh-huh. to where you couldn't get it. And they, they didn't
3: play in venues that small anymore. They had yeah. to go to larger venues. Just
2: blew okay. up. I mean, even that, that
3: yeah, that's a,
1: a big, yeah, that's a big, um, uh, Ventura is kind of a bigger venue. Yeah. So not, they they had to play. Uh, what do you think that is? Like 25,000? No. Less? I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? 20
2: at the most. Not yeah. even. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then all of a sudden they are at Anaheim Stadium and all that instead. It just,
3: uh, just took off. And at least 15,000 seat arenas like you know Irvine Meadows, Shoreline Amphitheater, stuff like oh. that. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Okay. also heard you kind of got a little bugaboo about owls. What's oh. your deal with the owls? <laughs> the birds of wisdom.
1: Okay. Oh, great. Um, so um, I'm going to tell you guys that story. Cool. Yeah. So when, uh, when one day I uh, got a call from a, an old client, and he said that um, a gentleman friend of his wanted to go out on a guide trip. And so I said, okay. And he's all, well, I got to tell you, he hasn't been – life fishing for a long time he um uh, is out of shape and whatnot and i said okay that's fine and so they arrive and then uh i think it was right around springtime the leaves had just turned green um and the day was just beautiful it was probably like 75 degrees and you know, it was just a gorgeous day and um i go let's go up to um uh headquarters up here and uh um, let's go up here by Chico flat and hang out and stuff. And okay. So we drive up there. We, I, we pull over, we get all the rods together and I go, let's hop over here. So we hop over the bank, we walk down and, um, I tell my friend, um, who I'm guiding these two guys, but I'm, t- I tell the one friend, his name's Chris, I say, Chris, um, I'm going to hang with uh, this guy named Mark. And, um, you know, for a little while. And so he's all cool. I mean, I'm going to cruise up river. And so I'm talking to Mark and everything. And I got him doing a dry dropper and he catches a fish and he brings it in and I net it. And it's like this perfect little wild Kern river rainbow. And I look at Mark and I say, I don't think it gets much better than this brand. This is pretty cool. And he's all, yeah, you're right guy. It doesn't get much better than this. And then, uh, He's cast up again, and he sticks another one, and he brings it in. And it's like the same; it looks like the same fish. It's not the same fish, but it, it looks like the same fish. And I'm like, "Man, Mark," I go, "Life doesn't get any better than this, man." And he's all, "Guy, you're right. You're right, man." And so we're fishing, and he's having a good time. I go, "Hey, I'm going to go hang with, with Chris," and uh, he's all right. Go for it, man. I'm good here. So I trample up river, and, and then I cross the river to this little area where there's like a little side stream. And, um, it's kind of hidden from the main river, but I, I go back down there and Chris is down there and he's all, Hey, how's Mark doing? And I go, Mark's doing pretty good, man. He just caught a couple fish. He's all stoked. I said, life doesn't get any better. And he's all right on, man. He's been wanting to fish up here for a long time and whatnot. So Chris is fishing and everything. And then all of a sudden I hear this owl and I hear this owl and it's, you know, I don't know what time it is, maybe maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning and this owl is just all, whoo, whoo, whoo. And I'm just like, what is that? And Chris is all, dude, I think that's an owl. I'm like, that's weird, man. I don't, there's no owls in the middle of the day. And the thing's just going off. Whoo, whoo, whoo. And I'm like, no way. And so I have this weird thing about owls that owls, you know, not necessarily are negative, but it means they, they have kind of a spiritual kind of a thing, like going to the next, uh, next life type a of thing. A lot thing. of
2: mythology has them as yeah. they are the ones who bring the dead to the next realm.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So um, this owl's just going off. And I'm like, so then I started kind of getting freaked out. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go check on Mark. And so I go up the little side channel and I, I go to the point where I'm looking across the the main stem of the Kern River and I'm like scanning the river from upstream to downstream and I'm not seeing Mark. And so then I I start yelling, Mark,
0: Mark,
1: and there's no response. And uh, then Chris comes up behind me and, and I go, oh, man, I don't see Mark, you know, and he was right down the way here. And I'm yelling and everything. And so then I start really like looking at the bank and really scanning the bank, like just looking at every little nook and cranny. And then I see him and he's like on his back and he's, he's facing up, you know, with his mouth is facing up. And I'm like, Chris, he's down. And I flew across the river. And so I flew across the river and I got to him. And I pulled him up on the bank and he was like, he was already kind of felt like he was already kind of stiff, you know? And I was like, oh no. And so I got him up on the bank on the grass. By that time, Chris had gotten to me and I had pulled this, you know, 200 plus pound man out of the water up onto the bank. And um, I'm all, Chris, do you know um, CPR? He's all, yeah. I'm like, you got to do CPR and I'm going to run and get help. And he's all right. And so he started doing CPR and I made sure he was doing it right and all that. And then I ran up the bank, ran up the cliff, got to my truck. And by the time I got to my truck, I was all, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't breathe. I was (laughs) like, Oh my God. And so I got in my truck and I, I drove all the way down to River Kern and which is a little like market. And I run in there, and I'm like, my client, just I think he had a heart attack or something. Call 911. They're all, okay, guy, we got it. And so they started doing that. I'm, I'm going to drive down to the the ambulance company, which is right by the shop. It's yeah. pretty close. So I drive down there, and they hadn't gotten the call. I walked inside, and, I, and they're eating breakfast. And I'm like, you guys, I, my client, I think he had a heart attack. He's up at Chico Flat. Come help me. Oh, we're on it, guy. And by that time, the fire department had gotten called, those guys are on the way and here we go up the river. So we cruise up the river and uh um they follow me all the way up the river. We're hauling butt all the way, get to Chico Flat, and I'm like, oh, he's over here. And so we hop over the cliff and we go down and um Chris is exhausted, of course, you know, from doing CPR and they get they get him, put him on the board and they they do that, you know, the shock thing, and they're like shocking him, you know, trying to get wow. his heart started and everything babo's and then they strapped him down and they're trying to bring him up the cliff and they're stopping and shocking him again babo and um got him got him all the way up to the road and they put him in the ambulance and then he drove off and i'm just like what just happened oh my god well it turns out that poor mark had um passed away he had a had a heart attack and whatnot
2: Dude, I'm sorry for bringing that up. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) I just heard about you had a little bugaboo with owls. I didn't Uh, know it went this heavy.
1: It's all good. So, um, it gets, its story gets even weirder. Okay. And so, um, I was like, Chris, oh my God, you know? And then I felt so bad and I, you know, was talking to some of my friends and they were like, oh, well he died doing what he loved, you know? And it kind of made me feel better. And then I talked to his family, the family called me up and they asked me what happened. And uh, they're, "Oh, well, he, at least he died doing what he loved, which is awesome. So fast forward about three months, four months, something like that, I'm doing a speaking engagement down in Los Angeles, and I get done doing my my presentation and stuff, and this lady comes up to me, and she's all, um, "Hey, um, I was a friend of Marks. Could you tell me like what happened and whatnot?" And I'm like, "Oh, absolutely." And so I went through. This whole explanation of everything, and when I got to the owl part, she got this like long, like ice kind of look on her face. I was like, "Yeah, it was the weirdest thing." There was this owl, wow. and the owl was like hoot, and it was like hoo hoo hoo, and I was like, it wouldn't stop, you know, and it was like trying to tell me something. And she's like, "Oh my God, she's all he had owls." all over his office. And we even called him the, oh, the night owl. No the owl no was letting you know. Yeah. How and I'm like, badass. Oh my God, that's a trip. That is. So that's the owl
3: story. Awesome. I, man. I, I take that as a positive on the owl side. Yeah. Yeah. I was helping you. Yeah. And it, yeah. it took him to the other side as well. So so to turn it around and make it a little more positive here. <laughs> so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> maybe you could talk about one of the most rewarding experiences you've had in the twenty years or, or you know, just one major one that sticks out. We're well,
2: gonna ask you memorable, but that last story is pretty memorable right well, there. Sir. So now we'll go to the other side.
3: You know, I mean um,
1: you know, I, I got to experience Ryan um actually doing one of the most memorable
2: Oh man.
1: Um, things and and I've had those as well in the in the past but you know um for me um I've had people um ask me to fly fish one last time before they pass away Brad you know and uh that's kind of a an honor you know they uh their their wife or whatever's will call me up and say hey you know such and such wants to fish with you one last time before he passes away he's he's mm-hmm. only got know, a month to live or whatever, but he wants to fish one last time. Um, that's kind of a pretty special thing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I've had um folks, um, dear friends now, but they were clients, but they turned into dear friends, um, ask me to um spread their ashes over the Kern River um when they pass away. Yep. Um, because they just they love the Kern River. And uh so yeah, I mean I have I got to see, experience Ryan With a guy who was um, having health issues. um, This was this summer.
2: It was this summer. A friend of ours called us up and has a friend of his who wanted to get out of the water one more time. He had uh, advanced Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to do. Guy's like, Yeah, you're going out with him. And (laughs) I was very apprehensive. And the guy goes, No, it's going to be great. I have a pontoon boat. We're going to put him in the front seat. And he had a little belt with handles we could carry him down to the water put him in we strapped him to that but where the oars are in my seat it the floor is open so I could just stand in the water and walk him up and down the river while he cast it and it was amazing he had just no strength um Lou Gehrig disease obviously affects all the muscle in his control and we didn't I didn't know how he was going to hold the rod but he himself invented this little grip he had a little thumb holder that he taped to the rod put his hand in and tape that in yeah and as soon as we got on the water and guys like tell me it's going to be great it's going to be great and i'm like oh my god what am i getting into here <laughs> and we get down there and we get him in the boat we get out on the water and he just came alive the smile on his face he's yeah. just glowing it's epic he was casting like he was 20 years ago and wasn't affected yet and we had a little signal where he'd hold up his hand um, a fist, a stop, or the thumb, and he just kept holding up the thumb, saying, let's keep going. And we walked up and down the river, and he just had a great time, and finally held up the fist. We came back and called Guy, came down to help get the raft out, get him up into the car. Um, we said our thanks, and it's like, you can't help but just cry at those moments. It's just amazing. I'm
3: starting to tear up right now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I went in just like really apprehensive about it and came out just... So amazed and blown away and yeah. ready for other experiences like that. It was just incredible.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing that uh, the fly fishing world, you know, we're able to experience that as fly fishing guides.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? And, yeah, be able, cool. there's um, so many different levels that people enjoy the river out here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's on that side where people are saying goodbye, and it's yeah. nice to be able to help them do that
1: too. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Awesome.
2: All right, um, where do you see the future of your shop going?
1: Oh my God
2: Because it's been you know a long ride now, twenty years is a long time for any business. you let guys on the fly shop You guys
1: have heard me say some things <laughs> but um, you know the the shop is uh, is doing well um, the uh, you know with you guys here um, in You know, I've always, I've always thought to myself, if you surround yourself with good people and professionals and people that are experts, you know, all you can do is keep going up. And I, you know, that's you guys for sure. Thank you. And, um, I really appreciate you guys, um, expertise and how great of a job you guys are doing, but, um, I have, (laughs) I have some pretty, uh, ambitious, um, ideas in my head uh for the Kern river fly shop you and know, just to
2: let you people know guy is never <laughs> resting on, on low he's finish. not short on ideas he is constantly thinking and thinking and planning <laughs> and his mind just works that way which is great yeah. you know
1: Yep. Yeah. i mean i i would i would love to open up other fly shops um i would love to clone this one and put it somewhere else um I would love to, uh, explore other countries. Um, I would love to do, uh, destination trips in Belize and, you know, the Amazon and, you know, so those are coming cool. Those cool. are coming uh, you, you bet your life. I'm going to be doing that stuff for sure. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm heading to, uh, Mexico to do a, a bass, uh, fly fishing trip, um, here in the, uh, into April.
2: That was one of our questions, too. I know yeah. we personally know this question already, the answer to it, but um, what's your favorite fish to go fishing for right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I, my, my favorite fish is a smallmouth bass. And, um, you know, one of the things that I love about the lower current is that we have smallmouth bass in it. Um, they're mysterious. Um, they're always changing. They're difficult to catch. They're strong. When you do catch one, you're stoked bends the hell out of your rod even if it's a 12 inch uh, smallmouth bass. Um, I want to go venture out to the, uh, the east, eastern United States and fish uh, Virginia and Arkansas and I want to go explore all that and fish their smallmouth. You know they've got of course got bigger ones. I want to check out that for sure. Um, but uh, yeah smallmouth bass you know the cool thing about the southern Sierra is we have the lower Kern, which has smallmouth bass, it has largemouth bass, it has trout. We have Lake Isabella, which has carp, bass, and trout, then crappie and catfish. crappie and catfish. And by the way, I if you guys are listening out there, um, the the fly fishing world record is going to come out of of Lake Isabella, and the length world record, I should say, and it's only fourteen inches. So if you guys can get that. um, that measuring device from what, what the IF, I forget IFGA. IFGA, you can get that measuring device and measure a fish over 14 inches, it would be a length world record, and we have those in Lake Isabella, so I'm hoping to do that with one of my clients this year, maybe hopefully with you guys. I don't care who it is, just put Lake Isabella on the map as a world record length uh, crappie fishery, that would be amazing. But we have the Upper Kern River, which is amazing. Um, we have uh, Kern River Rainbows. We have we have three native trout in this area. We have the Kern River Rainbow. We have the Golden Trout, which is California State freshwater fish. We also have the Little Kern Golden Trout in this area as well. So we have three native trout here. We have Brown Trout in the river as well, the North Fork and the South Fork, which is pretty amazing, um, but they aren't native, um, but we do have them. And so the cool thing about this whole area is that you can fish for all these different species and it takes, it takes some fly fishing skills to be able to do that. It does, you know, different, different flies, different techniques, different strips, different patterns. All that comes into play when you're, when you're fly fishing in the Southern Sierra for sure.
2: Cool. <laughs> right on Robbie. You got another question at all Robbie?
3: <laughs> oh, where are we going from here? We're running out of stuff. I think I got
2: one more. For yeah. Me. All right. All right. One of the great things when I first got attracted to the Kern and the fly shop and its connection to the Southern Sierra Fly Fishing Club was all the fundraisers you did. Awesome. So much money has been raised up here over the years for all the local conservation clubs, um, all kinds of groups. It's amazing. And I know a man named Chiaki Hirami is a big part of it with you. How would you guys first start doing that, and what was your motivation for it? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go back in time. So I did a, a
1: presentation with the, um, the fly club down there uh, in Southern California. God, what's the name of them? Um, not the Northrop fly fishers, but uh, Downey fly fishers. <laughs> okay.
2: That's, yeah, Zeno's cousin. Zeno, yeah. Or
3: Zeno Chiaki's cousin. So,
1: yeah, so I went down there and I did a presentation. I met Zeno yep. um, Chiaki's uh, cousin. And they grew up together. Zeno's amazing fly fisherman, and um, I did a presentation down there. And then Zeno booked me, and um, brought Chiaki along. And so we went up upriver. And within five minutes, um, I look downstream and Chiaki's running downstream. He's got a big old 20 inch fish, maybe I don't know. (laughs) And he's running downstream and he's like, Oh wow, this is, this is a lot of fun. (laughs) And, um, and so that was my first, um, you know, introduction to Chiaki. And, um, and then Zeno was there and, uh, I don't know what it was, but me and, me and Chiaki hit it off and, um then uh Chiaki uh would go on some pack trips uh into the golden trout wilderness with me, and uh we just became tight man and then the next thing you know uh Chiaki's getting real involved with uh the southern Sierra fly fishers, and now he has been president for ever i don't know 10, over ten years ten yeah. years yeah. So. and the amount of energy and positivity that that dude brings to fly fishing is incredible and um you know we all
3: have you know been blessed by chiaki there is no way that we wouldn't have give back the time that we have gave back to the club without chiaki yeah. so and him leading us you know and, and giving a great example. example yeah, yeah. And, you know even
1: today he's like you know don't forget the california fly fishing open is um october 8th (laughs) full force you know and then he's he's a big reason why that club is so successful absolutely you know not only do we have the the women's fly fishing uh uh thing that we do um, we have all kinds of stuff the california fly fishing open the carp fly fishing um tournament kids um, academy kids academy where we bring you know is it 15 kids? Yep. And then we give 15 kids fly rods for yeah. free. Um, and we've been doing that for many years, 15 my, years. My daughter years.
2: Savannah is 22 and she did the first one when she was nine. Yeah. So and that so was the 13, very first 14 kids. 14 Academy. years.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the, the effect that the, uh, the club has had on the fly fishing community is pretty incredible. Not only that, but um, we have this thing in Kern, in Kernville, we have the Kernville hatchery Yep. and uh, we, Since I've been here 20 years, they've been trying to bring the Kern River Rainbow to the hatchery to uh, spawn and put in the river. And we're almost there, but over the years, I believe we were at over $300,000 that has been generated and gotten in grants to give to the hatchery to build new wells, to um, build new runs, all kinds of stuff to help that hatchery. succeed. Um right now it's closed down because of of, of money and whatnot, but I hear that it's going to be back open. But the Kern River Rainbow um project, which will be the second one in in the US, um, right behind the McLeod River Rainbow. Um, it'll be a pretty amazing thing once the Kern River Rainbow gets established in that hatchery and they spawn it and they start putting it um stocking it back in the in the Kern River will be a, a huge success story.
2: Cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's, right. really, uh, that's really impressive. We can put that native fish back in its water. It's insane. Instead of having to put in stalkers.
1: Yeah. you another know,
2: breed. A lot
1: of people don't know, but California is home to 10 native trout. Correct, the heritage trout. Yeah, yeah. and three of them are here. And, you know, if you catch six of the 10 native trout uh, of California, which is more than any other state in the Union, right? If you catch six of those 10 native trout, the Fish and Wildlife will give you Joseph Tomarelli's prints of those fish, and That's it'll cool. say such and such has caught, you know, all these fish—six of these native, ten native trout—and um, they'll give you a poster of that, and they'll give you a hat, and it's kind of a cool accomplishment.
2: Yeah, and we have three of those in our watershed. Dude, that it's native. amazing. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. It
1: really is. We have three of them here, so it's really popular here, where people come from all over
2: the world. To catch uh, the golden trout mainly. Just had a gentleman call from Florida to book a golden trout trip in June. Yeah. And he's a bucket lister and he wants to catch a golden trout on a fly rod because it's one of those amazing fish. Yeah. So he's coming from Florida out here. It's great. Yeah. I had had these guys
1: (laughs) I took up uh, on one of the streams here from France and I... We didn't speak. We <laughs> There's didn't, no French. No, right. Fish. All we said was fish. And um, at the end of the day, he said he knew, like, the numbers. I caught 58 golden trout. And I'm like, no way. And he's all, on the same fly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I love those golden trout. Yeah, right.
1: That's the thing about golden trout is, like, you could throw a leaf in the water and yeah. they'll eat that thing, yep, you know? Exactly. But, it's pretty awesome. Cool. All yeah. right.
2: It was nice hanging out with you today. And one of the things I want to say before we take off is the local Kern River Brewery just came out with their Citra, the award-winning <laughs> Citra for you beer heads out there. So yeah. the next time you come up, make sure you stop in and try that out. And again, we want to thank Guy for letting us uh, take over the hosting job and interview him this time.
1: Thank you, and, you guys.
2: Uh, we'll be talking to you guys again sometime.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, and I hope that you guys... You know, I think us three as, uh, as hosts are pretty amazing um, just to talk with each other. Yeah, it's a good time. You know, it, this whole thing that we're doing right now, you guys, happens every single morning in the fly shop. It does. <laughs> it
3: does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, right on. So, thank you, you guys, for um, listening to uh, the Kern River Fly Shop podcast. This is Guy Jeans. Rob
2: Bueller, Ryan Bueller.
1: Signing off. We'll see you guys next time.
0: Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.